Lord, I thank you for revealing yourself. I thank you that the gospel is the revelation of you. And so this morning I ask for a revelation. Lord, would you give us eyes to see? Lord, you, we need a revelation of you. Lord, I thank you that in my gifting, I can preach a message. But Lord, this morning, I'm asking for the anointing. I'm asking for the flow of the spirit, Lord, for it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. It's the anointing that liberates, Lord. It's the anointing that reconciles families. It's the anointing, Lord, that invites us into breakthrough. And so this morning, Lord, I'm asking for your grace, Lord. I'm asking for your spirit to come and touch our hearts and our minds. And Lord, I just declare you would give us eyes to see you. Lord, give us ears to hear you and what the Spirit is saying this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, like I said, open your Bible to Galatians 1, and I'm going to preach a message to you that I have, to, that I have titled, The Distorted Gospel. The Distorted Gospel. It says this in Galatians 1. We're going to start in verse 6. If you know anything about Paul's letters, he normally starts with an encouragement. He normally starts his letters with something positive, but here in Galatians 1, he's, he's guns out. He's, he's full fire. He's coming full ablaze. And he says this in verse 6. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. That's bold. As we've said before, so now I say it again. In case you didn't hear it, he wants to repeat himself. If anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brothers, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Everybody say the revelation of Jesus Christ. I want to preach to you this message about the distorted gospel because here you have Paul and he's saying there are some that they desire to distort the gospel of Jesus. They desire to shift it just a little bit. They desire to change it just slightly. They, they desire to present Jesus in a way uh, that, that, that's not fully who he is and in a way that benefits you over seeing him rightly. And in Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about the end of the age and he's saying, beware, because the biggest thing you're going to see in that hour is deception. You're going to see many come in the name of Christ. You're going to see many Christs appear. Many use Jesus like a political agenda to get something they want, but they're going to distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this morning, as we were singing the song, I was, I was over here and I just began to weep. Tears began to come down my face because this is my beautiful sister that was up here singing. Elissa, will you wave? She's like, oh my gosh, why are you putting me on the spot? And Elissa is up here singing this song. When I think about the Lord, 
how he saved me, how he raised me, how he picked me up and he turned me around and he placed my feet on solid ground. And I start thinking about years ago, maybe at this point, I'm 29, so probably about 22 years ago, sitting in church. We were raised in church and we were raised in a very religious environment, but, but our family loved God. And I remember my grandma, she would be sitting on the keys. She'd throw her head back and she's just throwing, playing the keys and she's singing the song. And, and my family had us in church and I had on my, my slacks and I had on my button up and my sister had on her dress and we're there at church. But the way we were raised was very religious. We were raised not first and foremost to behold Jesus. We were raised first and foremost to have a family that is presented rightly. That's what religion will do to you. And, 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 and what we, we came to church so that we could be a family in America that looked right. That did the right thing. And you know where that led? That led to years of agony. My parents end up separated. Elissa and I ended up hating each other. And, and, and if you've ever heard my story, it's intense. Their, their sin was running rampant in my life, my sister's life. It was running rampant in our family, yet today I have seen the Lord as he's picked us up and he's turned us around and he's put our feet on solid ground. So Elissa's up here and she's singing and she's weeping and you don't know the history she has with God. You don't know how God has taken our family where we had a distorted gospel. We had Jesus not in the center. We had him on the peripheral. We had something else in the center. And he said, no, 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 no. I need to pick you up and I need to turn you around you need to behold me. And he's transformed our life. He has transformed our life. Thank you, Jesus. And Paul says this, he says, the gospel I preached to you, I did not learn from man. I was not taught it, but I got it through the revelation of Jesus. I got it through him. I got it through the man. I got it from beholding. I got it from looking at him. I did not get it from a man. I did not get it from a book. I did not get it from a podcast. I did not get it from attending church. I did not get it from a good Bible study. I got it from beholding Jesus. From beholding him. From seeing him. It's where I got now what I'm giving. Are you following me? This morning, I woke up. I got out of bed. I was so excited to be here. And my wife brings out our two-year-old and she just decided this morning would be the morning that she would throw the worst tantrum I think we've ever seen her throw. And I'm like, oh my gosh, she had like this stiff body where you're trying to pick her up. She's like, no, no, you know. So we finally, we talk her into eating breakfast, getting dressed. She wouldn't let us fix her hair. So we're like, whatever, you can wear the hair, your hair the way you want it. We get her in the car and I'm like, oh. you know, I can just feel stress. I just feel anxious. But we're finally in the car. We made it. We start driving, we're driving down the car, or we're driving down the street, we're driving to the upper room, and all of a sudden I look in my rear view mirror and I see red and blue lights. And I'm like, <sighs> so I pull over on the side of the road and sure enough, here comes this cop and he's like, where are you headed today? And I'm like, church. You know, you have that moment where you're like, uh, we're, Sir Beth and I are not looking at each other and I just have my hands on the steering wheel. And he's like, uh, your uh, registration's out. And I'm like, mm-hmm. And he's like, why is your registration out? And I'm like, because I didn't. You know, you start getting pastored by, by this cop. I'm like, well, I didn't renew it. Well, why didn't you renew it? And you're like, I'm sorry, I'll renew it. So we finally, he lets us go. He gives us a warning. I'm like, oh, Lord, there's grace. We start driving. 
And then all of a sudden, again, our two-year-old in the back, Daddy, I want Will's on the bus. And I'm like, no, baby, not this morning. I wanna put on worship music. I'm gonna preach this morning. I need to get in the spirit. I want Will's on the bus. 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 And finally, I'm like, okay, can we please get Will's on the bus? So we, get on, we put on Will's on the bus, and it's Coco Melon. And if you know Coco Melon, Coco Melon was designed to annoy you. It was designed to pick at you and poke at you. And it starts out with that, and I'm like, Sir Beth, I have got to get out of this car. And she's trying to tell Sir Beth, she's trying to tell Rosie. She's like, baby, we're gonna let daddy listen to worship. Nope, I want Will's on the bus. So finally we get here and I just feel anxious. I have so much anxiety. I have so much stress. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm supposed to be preaching and I'm not in the zone at all. And I went to my back office and no one was back there. And I laid on the carpet and I said, Lord, I need you this morning. And there was a shift. There was this subtle shift where all of a sudden I walked in and I'm thinking about Coco Melon and I'm thinking about that police officer and how, you know, he was fathering me because my registration was out and I'm thinking about the tantrum that happened and I'm thinking about the anxiety that I'm carrying. I'm thinking about the pressure of preaching, but I'm laying on my face. Lord, I want to see you. I want to behold you. It wasn't 20 minutes. It wasn't 30 minutes. It was the only six minutes I had this morning. And all of a sudden, I beheld him. And I saw him and tears started streaming down my face. And in a moment where I was feeling anxiety and I was feeling stress, I felt it, I felt it leave. And it, and it was like I couldn't see that anymore. I could see him. Why am I telling you the story? Because Paul's saying, I didn't get it from you. I didn't get it from man. I didn't get it from any place. I got it from beholding Jesus. I got it from getting alone with him. I got these pages that I've pinned, that I've written to you. I got it from him. From him. From seeing Jesus. So I have these pink glasses. I want to show you guys these pink glasses. Check out these pink glasses my mom gave me. I'm 29, but my mom still gives me good gifts. I wanted to wear these pink glasses as I read to you the definition of distort. Is that okay? This is what distort means. It means to pull or twist out of shape, to give a misleading or or false account of, or to make something appear as it is not. To make something appear as, as it is not. So I have these glasses on, so everything I look at has a filter of pink. Can, can you guys help me show the room what I'm looking at, what I'm seeing? Can we show them the pink? There it is. So everything you see is pink. It's filtered pink. My white shirt now has a filter of pink. My white shoes now have a filter of pink. The walls now have a filter of pink. This LED screen that naturally is black has this filter of pink. Everything is filtered pink. It has been distorted to appear as though it is really not. Are you following me? This, these walls, as I'm looking at you, as I'm looking across the room, I actually can't tell what color you're actually wearing or I actually can't tell the accurate perception of the way you are because it's filtered through something. It's distorted through color. It's distorted through these glasses. It's distorted through these lights. And I feel like sometimes we present Jesus in that way. Sometimes we present the gospel in that way. Sometimes we present the gospel of Christ in a way that distorts it just a little bit to make it look the way we want it to look, to make Jesus fit the way we want Jesus to fit. So these are my pink glasses. And so I want to caution you this morning. 
I want to make you, uh, I want to say beware of a distorted gospels that are out there. Um, I've really been praying a lot lately that the Lord would, would, would awaken me to the urgency and the hour um, that evangelism answers. Does it make sense? The problem in our hour that evangelism will answer. That if we'll just share the gospel, it would, it would go a long ways. That we're very quick to talk about our nation, but not a lot of us are quick to get out there and preach the gospel to those that are lost. And, and I've been telling the Lord, Lord, I feel, I feel convicted because I'm daily ministering in your house, but not very often outside side your house. Give me words, Lord. Uh, deliver me from the fear of man. Deliver me from boldness. And so uh, I have put this sticky note on my heart that anytime I get in an Uber, I'm gonna share the gospel. And so I was in an Uber and I was, I was taking the Uber from my house to DFW, I had a flight. And um, Toby was with me, I don't know if Toby's in the house, but Toby was with me, we were in the car. And um, we were going to the airport and I start talking to my Uber driver. And I just start asking him what he does, what do you do in Dallas? And he told me, well, I've been in Dallas for the last seven years, I don't have any family here, but I've been here for seven years and I really like it. So I said, well, well what keeps you in Dallas? And he said, well, I have a really awesome church and I love to sing at my church. And I said, oh, you love Jesus. And he goes, oh, oh, no, 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 no. And I was like, oh, you don't love, you don't love Jesus. And he goes, he goes, no, I, but, but I love God the Father. And I was like, okay. And I was like, well, what church do you go to? And he tells me the name of his church and I had never heard the name before. And I'm like, okay, well, what, what book do you guys read at your church? And he said, oh, we read the Bible. And I was like, huh. So you read the Bible, you love God the Father, but you don't love Jesus? And this is a true conversation that's going. At this point, I'm super intrigued. And he was like, well, he was like, I used to believe Jesus is the Messiah, but I don't believe that anymore. And I said, well, why don't you believe that anymore? And he goes, well, the church that I go to now, uh, they've really trained me that the New Testament, specifically the Gospels, they're up for interpretation. And I was like, okay. And I'm like, well, well the Bi you said you read the Bible, and the Bible says that we're saved by Jesus alone. Well, I don't believe that Jesus is, is is the Messiah. I don't believe that we're saved by Jesus. I'm like, okay, but the Bible says Jesus is the way. Well, it's up for interpretation. And I'm like, okay, well, well, where's your hope for how this whole thing ends? Where's your hope for the end of the age? Where's your hope for life after death? If it's not in Jesus, where is it? And he goes, oh, I, I believe in reincarnation. And I'm like, bro, you read the Bible. <laughs> and, and he's like, he's like, yeah, but you know, I just use the Bible to really help guide me to the truth. And I'm sitting there and I'm listening to this, this man talk and I'm listening to him, I'm, you know, I'm asking questions. And so I just start telling him about Jesus and he's looking at me like I'm crazy. We get to the terminal and he's like, bye, you know, and I get out of the car. My Jesus loves you. And he's like, okay. Um, but the point is, is he had a distorted gospel. Somewhere along the lines, the gospel had got distorted and he stopped beholding Jesus. And I thought, let's just follow that rabbit trail for a moment. Let's just talk about the Bible for a moment. Let's say we were in Galatians 5. In Galatians 5, it says, anyone who practices the lusts of the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. So let's just say for a moment we go, well, <clears throat> this is up for interpretation. I don't like Galatians 5. I don't like that it says, anyone who practices these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me just whoosh, rip that page out. Well, also on that page, it talks about the uh, fruits of the Spirit. 
So if I rip out that page that I didn't like, well, I also ripped out the fruits of the Spirit. That means I need to flip over to 1 Corinthians 13 that talks about uh, love, which is the fruit of the Spirit. And I need to rip out that page. Whoosh! But that's actually tucked between uh, the gifts of the Spirit and the Spirit of the gifts. That's, that's the chapter before, the chapter after. So we also need to rip out those pages. Whoosh! Which since we need to go over to John 14. Why John 14? Because in John 14, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. So if we ripped out these passages and the letters, then we need to rip out that one too. Well, then we also need to rip out most of Jesus' teaching. Are you following me? And then you have no gospel. You have no revelation of who Jesus is. And I want to tell you today, this book, the scriptures, from the front to the back, are the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is the revelation of the man. It is the revelation of the one who for before the foundations of the world was slain for you, was slain for me. It is the one who is coming back at the end of the age. It is all about Jesus, the gospel. If you're in this room and you're like, what is the gospel? I don't know the gospel. Let me give it to you really simply. It's the revelation of Jesus. It's the revelation of him. It's the revelation that he's our all in all. It's the revelation that in Jesus and Jesus alone is all that we need. It is the revelation that all things are by Jesus, for Jesus, through Jesus, from Jesus, to Jesus. Are you following me? It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. All right. Can I give you three examples of a modern day distorted gospel? And I want to show you in Matthew 4, where Jesus also goes through the temptation of the enemy for these three. The first one is the prosperity gospel. And I hope you're taking notes this morning. The first one is the prosperity gospel. Now, if you're like me, for the longest time, I didn't understand that phrase. I didn't understand what is the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel at its core tells you that if you follow Jesus, you'll have money, blessing, and material things. It tells you your life will be rainbows and butterflies. You'll never go through a day, the day of trouble. You are as anointed as you are rich and blessed. It focuses on a culturally comfortable life. And blessing, here's, here's the core of the prosperity gospel. Blessing is at the center, not Jesus. Blessing is at the center, not Jesus. You create a Jesus that doesn't require anything from you and it becomes about what you can get from him. It removes the suffering of the cross from following Jesus. The problem with the prosperity gospel is it only thrives in the Western church. Try to preach this gospel to our brothers and sisters in the Middle East. Try to preach this gospel to Heidi Baker's team in Mozambique. Try to preach this gospel somewhere in the world that is not America. And they'll tell you blessing is not meant to be at the center of the gospel. Jesus is. Jesus is. In Matthew 4, Jesus is hungry. He's been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. And in verse 3, it says, Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. It's the first temptation. It's the temptation of the lust of the flesh. And the devil comes and he, te uh, uh, he tempts Jesus. He says, if you're the son of God, turn this stone into bread and fulfill the desire of your flesh. You're hungry. Eat this. 
And, and, and it's what the prosperity gospel does. The prosperity gospel says, in the name of God, satisfy your flesh. In the name of God, have all the blessing you need. In the name of God, it's not about, it's not about giving, it's about receiving. In the name of God, you focus on prospering. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with prospering. Actually, Jesus is the kindest man I know. He loves for his people to prosper. In Psalms 1, it says, uh, uh, this man, talks about the one who meditates day and night. This man will prosper in all of he does. The problem is, is when we put prospering before beholding. When we put prospering before being like him, where we put prospering and receiving and growing what we have and our assets and our money and our different things before beholding him. Saying, Lord, make me like you. Lord, make me lowly. Lord, as I see you, as you behold the Lord, the more you behold him, the more you see that is the place you prosper. It's in that place on your face. It's on that place where you're weeping. It's in that place when you're like Mary, bringing your costly oil before Jesus that you're like, I am prospering right here. I'm prospering right in this place, taking every asset that I have, taking all the money that I have. That's where you begin to become a cheerful giver because you're beholding him and you're seeing him. But the prosperity gospel says, no, 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 no. You need to receive more. You need to receive blessing. If you're not blessed, you can't see him. No, 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 no. The gospel is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the revelation that in every need that I have, he is all that I need. That he is my blessing. He is my portion. He is my all in all. Last August, we were preparing for the birth of our, our second child, and we were trying to decide on a name. And um, I knew that the Lord had been working on me with, with a poverty mindset. It was, it was something the Lord had been fathering me into, and the Lord said to me, he said, I want you to name your son Shepherd, because every time you look at him, I want you to know that I am your shepherd and I am your provider. And he said, your son is coming with heaven's provision. That's what he said to me. That's what I said, Amen. It's beautiful. It's so good. Um, and me and my, my, my short thinking, uh, my thought of that was, okay, well, that means I'm going to get a raise. <clears throat> Tony, where are you at? Tony, that means I'm going to get a raise. Um, it means I'm going to get probably more speaking engagements than I've had before. It means I'm probably going to get more. Uh, people are just going to be blessing us. You know, that, that was my mindset of provision. Uh, my wife's going to get a raise. Well, two weeks after Shepard was born, uh, my wife goes to uh, get her first maternity check, and it's, it's, it has not been direct deposited. And so we're like, that's weird. Call your boss. She calls her boss. Long story short, she calls her boss and realizes she's not getting her maternity leave. She also has lost her job, um, and our income has now just been cut in half. Now, we had just recently bought a house, uh, doctor's bills, all, all of this stuff, right? And so it was a whole ordeal, it was a whole, a whole thing. Instantly we go from living in this promise, ooh, our son is coming with heaven's provision, to oh no, how are we gonna pay our mortgage? And I'm like, Sarah Beth, you, you're gonna have to get a job, you're gonna have to apply, get a job. And she's like, Aaron, I'm, I'm three weeks postpartum. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you're right, you can't get a job. Uh, long story short, <clears throat> the Lord wanted to deliver me of, of my thinking of what his provision looked like. See, my provision looked like blessing, more for us, more for us to take on. His provision actually looked like us seeing him 
as everything we need. And for the past seven months, we would watch as the Lord would supernaturally provide for us by his hand. And in the midst of it, there was a greater invitation than we had ever lived in before to be givers. And it was like the Lord would, would ask us to give money to people that we're like, Lord, we don't have that money to give, number one. And if we did, we'd be using it for a need. But, but the Lord was inviting us to put our money where our mouth is and to actually see that it's better to give than to receive. And it was from that place of saying, okay, Lord, I'm gonna look to you. I'm gonna give you my two loaves. I'm gonna give you my few fish that I have. Here it is, Lord, that I actually begin to have my mind renewed to see, Lord, it actually wasn't about what you were gonna give us. It was actually about us seeing you rightly, seeing you as our portion, seeing you as all that I need. But the prosperity gospel will keep you from that. See, the shift is, is that Jesus is the greatest giver. But when you see him rightly, you become like the elders in Revelation 4. You cast every crown before him. You become like the widow who gave her two mites. You become like Mary who broke her oil at Jesus' feet. And like Paul, you say, I received this through the revelation of Jesus. The prosperity gospel is a distorted gospel. Let me give you another one. The next one is the popularity gospel. This one is big amongst millennials and Gen Zers. The popularity gospel. The popularity gospel at its core suggests that if I follow Jesus, I'll have influence. I'll have a following. I'll have a platform and possibly fame. It creates celebrities in the kingdom. It conditions people to believe that I'm only as anointed as I am influential, and we look to man rather than to God. We put man's influence at the center of the narrative and not Jesus. It's the popularity gospel. I have written in my Bible, at the back of my Bible, it says my influence does not determine my intimacy. My following does not determine my anointing. I have to remind myself when I get into the word, I'm not getting into the word to preach a message. I'm getting into the word to behold Jesus. I'm getting into the word to see him, to know him. I'm not getting into the word to get the next, the next revelation for a podcast. I'm not getting in the word to get the next revelation for a book I want to write. I'm not getting into the word to get something that I can give to grow an influence and grow a following and to make a clip to put on my social media so that I can use Jesus to get a couple more numbers. No, 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 no. But it's big amongst the Western church. Come on, if you're a Gen Zer and you have social media, you know it's big amongst the Western church. That we use Jesus like clickbait. We use Jesus to grow influence and following. But actually when you behold him, you see, oh, I'm just, I'm just nothing compared to you. You're actually the most influential man in the galaxy and the universe and the nation. And then all of a sudden there's a burden in you to come to prayer because you actually believe that God hears you and you actually believe that he is influential. And if he hears you and he's influential, then there's gonna be a shift on the earth when you pray. It shifts the way you pray. It shifts the way you come to prayer. It shifts the way you get on your face in the secret place because you see his influence. You see his platform. You see who he is. But the popularity gospel will force you to see what you can have, the influence that you can have. Back in Matthew chapter four, it says this in verse eight. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world 
and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. And so he tempts him. He says, if you'll worship me, look, it's the lust of the eyes. Look what you could have. Look what you could have. The crazy thing is it was already Jesus's. It just yet wasn't his time to step into that because he was about to go and he was about to give his life. And if you know anything about Matthew 16, it's the same uh, uh, encounter that Peter is having that Paul has had. And Jesus comes to the disciples in Matthew 16 and he says, he says, who do, who do you say that I am? Who do they say that I am? Well, some say you're a prophet, some say you're this, some say you're that, some say you're a teacher. Well, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter says, well, well, you're the Christ. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. It's the, it's the same thing that Paul's saying. I got this from beholding Jesus. But then shortly after that, Jesus begins to tell him all the things that he'll endure. He begins to tell him all of the things that he's going to overcome, all the things he's going to walk through, the cross, the death, the burial, the resurrection. And, and, and Peter begins to rebuke him. Not you, Lord. No, not you, Lord. There's actually another way we could get you there. Not laying down your life, not going the lowly way. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Why? Because there's actually a death to you, to me. There's a death in following Jesus. There's a death to our desires, our platforms, our influence. At the end of this thing, when all of this thing ends, I think about it all the time. When I get caught up in the, in the swirl of the celebrity Christianity, I, I let my mind go to the end of the age. I let my, my mind go to Revelation 4. I let my mind go to the place to where all of this will be gone. And we'll be standing before the throne room. And nobody's going to care who's on their left and their right. Nobody's going to care who's two rows ahead of you and two rows back. Nobody's going to care about what I put out as content on this earth. We're going to look to Jesus. And we're going to go for eternity. I get to behold you for eternity. I get to see you for eternity. It's my joy to lay down everything I ever wanted, built, did at your feet. And to say, Jesus, it's all for you. Let me tell you one more story. Uh, recently, I was in Nashville. And uh, Sir Beth and I had gone to minister, and we were ministering at a church there. And, and we had been sharing about the fear of the Lord. And um, afterwards, after I had come off the stage, this young kid comes up to me. And he tells me, Aaron, your, your, your words are so good. And he said, I, I've never given my life to Jesus. And I'm listening to you talk. And I, I actually want to give my life to Jesus. And I'm like, well, let's, let's do it. And he says this to me. And he goes, but, but I'm afraid Jesus is going to take everything from me. And I said, okay. And he goes, let, let me tell you more. And he goes, I recently just signed a record deal. And he told me the company that he had signed with. I recently just signed a record deal. And he said, I've been working since I was 12. And at this point, he was now 24. So he said, since I was 12, I've had a desire to put out a record. And I just got a record deal. 
And he was like, but I have found out in this industry, there's a lot of drugs and there's a lot of things that make me nervous for my life. And, and I want to come to Jesus because I want to clean my life up. And I, and I, I want to I I see him in my life and all the things that you're saying. And he goes, but I'm afraid that he'll take my record deal. I'm afraid that he'll take my life. And I looked back at him and I said, you know, I can't tell you that he will. I can't tell you that he won't. My, my assumption based on me following Jesus is that, yes, he will take everything in your life. He wants it all. And he's looking at me, you know, wide-eyed, and he's like. And, and I said, but let me tell you, record deal or no record deal, your record deal is earthly. And he's looking at me like I've never heard anyone say that to me, and I don't even fully understand what you're saying. Your record deal is earthly, but, but you were made for the glory. You were made for eternity. You were made to behold Jesus forever. And this, this kid who he had like the necklace with the spikes and the earrings. And I was a little nervous when he walked up to me at first, like he just looked hard and he walks up to me and this, this kid, I tell him this, you were made for the glory. He's, I don't know, maybe six, two, he begins to hunch over. And all of a sudden I hear this (laughs) and he begins weeping. He begins weeping. I want to give my life to God. I want to behold the glory. I want to live for eternity. And he just starts telling me these things. And I'm like looking at the pastor of the church. I'm like, come here. Come here. Help me pray for this guy. But I want to tell you today, if you've gotten caught up at all in the influence, the popularity gospel, how to grow your following, put out more content. Listen, I love digital missions. It's reaching, it's reaching a group of people that I don't know that we would have ever reached if it weren't for the modern age. But if you're not careful, you can get caught up in that game. And it's earthly. And you were made for the glory. You were made for eternity. You were made for being in tears before Jesus. You were made for beholding him and saying, Lord, every crown that I will ever wear on my head is meant to be thrown at your feet. Lord, you are the only one that matters. You are the one that is high and lifted up. I want to go low. I want to lay at your feet. I want to be like Paul and say, I received this through the revelation of Jesus. I saw him as the most important. I saw him as the one who needs to be on display. And I realized I'll lay down my all for him because the popularity gospel is a distorted gospel. Let me give you one last one. It's man's gospel. Man's gospel. Man's gospel puts me at the center, not Jesus. It uses Jesus for me to become my best self. It causes you to use the gospel as self-help. You know, you can take any scripture out of context and use it as self-help. You can use it for you to be a better you, for you to judge yourself. Am I righteous? Am I not righteous? How am I doing? Have I sinned lately? Have I not sinned lately? Oh, here's what I need to do. You know what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 3? He says, I don't even judge myself. I don't even judge myself. Why? Because when you've beheld him, you you know what I've learned? You can't behold him and behold you at the same time. You can't look at him and look at yourself at the same time. In fact, this morning when I was laying back there and I'm like, Lord, I feel so anxious. The moment I started seeing his beauty, I actually forgot about every other thing. It was like for a split second. It was like for a moment. It was like everything faded. I forgot about Cocomelon, forgot about that police. I forgot about everything. 
And you see him because you cannot behold him and behold you at the same time. But man's gospel puts man at the center. It puts you at the center. It puts Jesus on the peripheral and you use Jesus to make you a better you. But it's not your job to make you a better you. It's your job to behold Jesus. And as you behold him, that will transform you. That will move you. That will mark you. That will change you. All you do is you look at him and you go, oh my gosh, you are faithful. You are faithful. And all of a sudden your unfaithfulness starts getting cleaned up. Why? Because you beheld the one who's faithful. You beheld him. You look to him. And as you look to him, he gets really big. He gets really big. And you get really small. But it's really good to be really small. A lot of our problems would be fixed if we were really small and he was really big. Come on, if you think about it, I, I, I wake up sometimes in the morning and I go, Lord, help me make you the biggest one today. Help me make you the biggest one today. I need you to be the biggest one today. Because when I get really big, it's just not good. It's not good. But you can't be at the center of the narrative when you've died. Galatians 2.20, for I have died. But the life I now live, I live in Jesus. But the life I now live, I live in Jesus. You know, when you've died, that means your calling dies. Your preferences die. Your ideas of how things should be die. I can't tell you how many times I get out of shape about something and when I come and sit down with the Lord, he always reminds me, but you've died. I go, you're right. Why are you complaining? Why are you complaining about this? Why are you complaining about that? You've died. The life you now live, you live in me. You know, I, I wrote this down. I, I wanted to speak to this. When, when you've died to yourself and you put Jesus back at the center of the narrative of the gospel, another thing that dies is the way you identify I'm really gonna talk about this tonight. But it's a big word in 2023. How do you identify? How do you identify? Oh, what, what, what are your pronouns? Let me tell you how you identify if you're in Christ Jesus. You identify with the death, the burial, and the resurrection. How do you identify? With the death, the burial, and the resurrection. For I have died. I have died. And Jesus is the one on display. Jesus is the one to behold. I never forget, I was a youth pastor and I had a group of kids that came to me and they were going through something at their, their school with some of their local friends. And they said to me, they were like, Aaron, we need your help. We're in a theological discussion. What do you say to someone when they tell you, I was born gay? And as a, I was a 21 year old youth pastor and I'm like, you know, my eyes get big and I'm like, uh, if you email info at youroom.org, they'll tell you. Um, but they asked me this question. What do you tell someone if, if they tell you, oh, well, well, I was born gay? And I was like, you know, and I'm just sitting there and I'm like, Lord, help me. And all of a sudden I, I felt the spirit of God come over me. And I said, well, are they in Christ Jesus? And he was like, well, yeah, they say they're a Christian and, and they want to follow God, but they also want to choose their own sexuality. And I said, okay, well, here's what, what I would say to you if it was you and you were asking me and I'm in relationship with you, I would tell you um, that if you're in Christ Jesus, it doesn't really matter how you were born because your job now is to pick up your cross and follow Jesus. Your job now is for you to lay your life down on the altar. Your job now is to remember that you have died and the life you live, you now live through Christ Jesus. 
behold him. Behold him. And your preferences, your desires, all things. Because here's the shift to man's gospel. When you see him rightly, you see that his life is now my life. That his relationship with the Father is now my relationship with the Father. That his righteousness is now my righteousness. And that I'm presented as holy, blameless, and above reproach. I don't need to judge myself when I behold him. Because it is his desire, it says in Colossians, to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before the Father. Because when the Father looks at you, he actually sees Jesus. He actually sees Jesus when he looks at you. See, we look at us and we go, oh, I see this, and I need to work on that, and I need to work on that. The Father looks at you and goes, I see my son. I see Jesus. Because when Jesus is at the center of the gospel, when he's at the center of the narrative, everything changes. Everything changes. Everything changes. You know, Jesus, the last temptation Jesus goes through is in um, Matthew 4. And it says this in verse 6. He said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. What is, what is Satan doing here? And Alyssa, if you and the team want to jump up, that'd be awesome. Oh, Oscar's up here. Um, the devil comes to Jesus and he takes scripture and he takes it out of context. But he takes, he tells Jesus, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down because here's what the scriptures say about you um, and, and, and let the angels come and catch you. Basically, he's saying, prove it. Basically, he's wanting Jesus to step into the place of pride and saying, I'll prove to you who I am. I'll prove it. But that's not what he does. He said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And after the three temptations, the devil goes away. But the point is this, is that the devil is always trying to get us to look at other things. He's always trying to get us to put Jesus at the peripheral. What I have found is that the more you walk with Jesus, the less the temptation comes about sin and, and lying, cheating, stealing, looking at porn, all of these things. If you're in that place, there's grace for you, and I believe God wants to meet you this morning. But the more you walk with him, the more I have found the temptation is not for sin. It's for distraction. It's to look at other things. It's to look at other things and to put more importance on that other thing and to put Jesus at the peripheral and to allow the gospel to be distorted just slightly. Man's gospel is a distorted gospel. But I told you this, the gospel is the revelation of Jesus. And I feel this morning uh, that the Lord, he wants to give us a clean eye. You know, the Bible says if your eye is clean, your body will be clean. If your eye sees rightly, your whole body will see rightly. And a couple days ago, I was laying in bed and Sarah Beth walked in. She had been doing something, but I was already going to bed. And she walked in and she could tell I was praying and I was kind of crying. And she was like, are you okay? Are you encountering God? And I was like, no, I'm, I'm repenting. And she's like, what are you repenting for? And I'm like, well, uh, I start telling her, well, I'm repenting for fear because I have fear that... I'm gonna get a diagnosis and I'm gonna die young and our kids aren't gonna have a father. And I start telling her all these things. And this is what she says to me. She goes, what have you been looking at? That's what she said to me. What have you been looking at? And I was like, well, well I was on TikTok and <laughs> I was like, I was, I was scrolling and I saw this dad who was talking about how he just got this diagnosis and that he was dying. And, and she was like, Aaron, don't you know if the eye is clean? 
the bodies clean? She was like, you don't need to repent for fear. You need to repent for what you were looking at. And she was like, matter of fact, you need to delete TikTok. And I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, I'm deleting TikTok. What is the point I'm trying to make? What you behold, if your eye is clean, when you look at Jesus, oh, let me tell you, only Jesus has a way in his beauty of, 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 of reprioritizing everything in your life. Everything. I promise you, when I'm going through marriage conflict and we take a moment and we pray and we behold Jesus together, that conflict doesn't matter. It has never mattered. It has never mattered. When we grab hands and we go, let's just look at Jesus for a moment. All of a sudden we're crying, we're hugging each other. And we're like, I love you. We're just moments before we were so mad. We're like, well, we need to call pastors. We need to get counseling. We, no, we need to behold. No, we need to see as a father, as a dad, when, I'm, when, I'm, when I can't pay bills and I'm looking at the numbers in our bank account, I don't need to go get a second job. I need to behold. I need to behold, why? Because everything we need is in Jesus. Everything you need is in Jesus. And if someone has told you otherwise, it's a distorted gospel. It's a distorted gospel. And in our coming hour, I feel the zeal of the Lord for us to remember to behold Jesus and to remember, I did not learn this from a man. I was not taught this from a cool Bible study. I got what I got from beholding him, from looking at him and going, Jesus, I wanna see you. Jesus, give me eyes to see you, Lord, at the center of the narrative. That a gospel that does not have Jesus at the center of the, of the narrative is satanic and demonic. A gospel that is not all about Jesus, who he is, what he's done, who he will be, is demonic and satanic. It is all about Jesus. Can I tell you who Jesus is? He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. He's before all things. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the first and the last. He's the faithful and true. He's the provider for your life. He's the one who reconciles all things. He's my shield and my fortress. He's my strong tower. He's my prince of peace. He's my fullness of joy. He's my renewed mind. He's my strength. He's my guide. He's my shepherd. He's my champion. He's the keeper of my soul. He's the anchor to my heart. He's my justification. He's my sanctification. He's my glorification. He's my atonement. He's my righteousness. He's my Messiah. He's my high priest. He's my bridegroom. He's my hiding place. He's my satisfaction. He's my healing. He's the author of my faith. He's the finisher of my faith. He's the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. And he's the lion from the tribe of Judah who's our soon coming king. The gospel is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I feel today so strongly like there's an invitation for the Lord for us to wash and anoint our eyes with eye salve and to say, Jesus, where I've looked at other things, I'm beholding you. I'm beholding you. I promise you every anxiety in your life will go away when you look at him. It's not about, it's not about the anxiety actually. It's actually about seeing him. It's actually about beholding him and knowing, Lord, you are my all in all. You are my all in all. The, revel the, the gospel is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so would you stand across the room? And I wanna ask you to put your hand on your eyes. And I want you to think about whatever in your life has been at the forefront of your mind. Whatever in your life has been before you, whatever in your life has been the thing you've been looking at and beholding more than Jesus, 
And Lord, I ask you to wash our eyes today. Lord, Paul had a moment where he said, he said something like scales fell from his eyes. Lord, that his eyes were open, that he beheld, that he saw and everything shifted. Everything changed. A man who was persecuting Christians, a man who had other pursuits and other goals, something like scales fell from his eyes and he beheld you and everything shifted. The trajectory of his life, his priorities, all that he was going through, walking through. And today, Lord, I just declare that every person that is in this room that is in need, Lord, they're in need of a breakthrough. They're in need of a shift. Lord, I just declare, Lord, would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us eyes to behold? Lord, there's something about coming back and placing you at the center of the narrative that realigns our life. It realigns us. It's like the sun. If the sun were not where it were, then the planets would not have gravity. They would not be in orbit. But Lord, we put you back in your rightful place. And I just declare today, Lord, that every life that's out of whack would come back into orbit with the rightful sun, the S-O-N, the son of God, the son of man, the one Lord who the gospel is all about you. In Jesus name. And then I wanted to invite you in the room. If you're in the room and you were listening to this and you were thinking, I have been looking to other things. My eyes have been on other places and other things. I wanted to invite you to the front carpet to come get on your knees. The band's gonna play and sing. And I believe the Lord's gonna touch you today. The same way the Lord touched me in that six minutes in the back. Just believe the Lord's gonna touch your mind. He's gonna touch your heart. Maybe the Lord's gonna give you vision for something that you've been walking through. Maybe you don't have clarity for, for a circumstance in your life and he's gonna give it to you. I don't know what it is, but I know that, that, that Jesus is all that you need. He's all that you need. And so can we sing?